All right, if you would, I want to just take a moment. Let's pause. Let's pray before we dive into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather as your church and to open your word. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts this morning, that you would be opening us up. We want to come to you, Lord. You say that you came not for the healthy, but for the sick. That you are where we can find healing, where we can find a salve for our wounds. So today, as we look at lament, as we look at what it looks like to bring you our pain, we pray that you would be our healer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, if you've probably, you've heard this, like this, is kind of, this was kind of a big catchphrase in church circles for a while, right? Like, come as you are, right? If you've, you've ever heard that, right? And it's this really sincere plea, this sincere expression of this desire to come to God, as you are, to not feel like you have to kind of clean yourself up, pick yourself up, and get yourself all perfect before you can come and meet God. But the question is, is like, do we actually believe that? Like, is that a truth that's actually penetrated the way we approach God? Um, and, and then even a bigger question is, is it actually true? Right? Like, is it actually, does God actually invite us to come and, and bring all of our mess? To bring all of the things that are, are broken, all the things that we would want to kind of hide, that we wish weren't a part of our lives. And, and that's what we're going to be t- kind of talking about today. That's what I think this psalm is going to be talking about today. We're looking, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and we've been looking at the different types of psalms, right? And today we're looking at the most common psalm that's in the Psalter, that's in the book of Psalms. And you would think, right, like because we have this idea of psalms as being this book of praise, that it would be the most common type of psalm would be the praise psalm. But it's actually the lament psalm. There are more laments in the book of psalms than any other type of psalm. That, that just kind of blows my mind when we think about it. Because we have this idea, some, at some point, we get into this place where we feel like The Christian faith, where to be a good Christian means that I need to be perpetually happy. I need to have a smile on. That if I'm dealing with doubts, depression, anger, sadness, that somehow my faith is lacking. Somehow I'm not trusting in God enough if I'm experiencing these emotions. And I need to just kind of deal with it and then come and just just praise God through it. But that doesn't even reflect what the book of Psalms has in it. If there's more and more, there's just these, these psalms that are just these cries. These places where these psalmists are writing these questions to God. They're, they're coming and they're being honest. They're bringing their mess. And so today, as we're looking at Psalm 42, um, we're going to kind of be highlighting this primary point. This is the, the big theme for today. And that is that when we lean into God with our pain... God brings about our joy and his glory. Right? When we bring our pain, our brokenness, the things that are broken, that are hard, that are difficult in our lives, and we bring them to God, God is going to bring about a transformation, a work that brings about ultimately our joy and God's glory. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 
and Psalm 43. I'm, I'm cheating. I'm sneaking in two, two Psalms today. Um, technically, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are the same Psalm. Uh, they're, they're two parts of the same Psalm. Most people think that at some point they got split into two chapters for some reason. I couldn't find out a good explanation of why, but uh, as we kind of read these Psalms, you'll see that they are most certainly the same Psalm. They, they fit together like a glove. Um, and then, so I want to read the psalm. And the one, thing, one of the things I was noticing as I was reading the psalm over and over was there's just so much imagery in it. There's so many word pictures and metaphors. It's one of the, it's one of the most descriptive psalms there is. And you know what comes to my mind, what images pop into my mind when I just think about the book of Psalms? I had a, I had a boss and he had on, it, on the calendar, he had a calendar on his wall and every month, you know, it was a new picture of sort of like this beautiful landscape, with like a cabin and probably like a deer and like a rambling brook. And then it had like a psalm scripture, like in some real fancy cursive handwriting. Well, that's all fine and good. But a lot of the verses in this psalm wouldn't go very well on that uh, calendar, right? Like for some reason, we can kind of tend to treat the psalms like the motivational posters of the Christian life. Um, and I'm not here, I'm not going to just pick on that because I've definitely done that. And it's poetry, right? It's descriptive. There's beauty there. But it's sometimes it can color us and keep us from seeing the real images that are here. Because we have this idea of this sort of, this picturesque kind of scenery and we kind of miss the images that are being said here. The, the, the true sort of crying out, the, the agony, the expression that the psalmist has here. And so, as we kind of read this, I want to kind of walk through the whole thing and just kind of pause every once in a while. I want us to imagine together the images that are being described here. What does it look like if you could, in your mind's eye, picture what the psalmist is describing? So, we're going to just dive in. We're going to start at Psalm 42 at the beginning in verse 1. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Right? We think about this and we see a deer and we kind of think about like, you know, like Bambi or something like that. But it says that this deer is panting. It's thirsty. It's out of breath. It's longing for water. This is not a calm deer. This is a deer that is looking desperately for a drink of water. In verse 3 it picks up. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all the day long, where is your God? They're taunting him. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Right? He's, he's, he's no longer able to do that. He feels separated from God. He's not able to participate in worship. And then in verse 5, this is the, probably the most va- famous verse out of this entire psalm. It says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon and the Mount of Mizar. It's a very far away place. He's saying, I'm in this land that's far from Jerusalem, far from the temple. This is probably perhaps the farthest you could go and you could still look back and see 
Jerusalem in the distance. And so he's far, he's distant, he's separated. And then he comes out and he starts saying in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep. In the roars of your waterfalls, all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's being crashed in upon by the waves of the deep ocean. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? Why must I be oppressed by the enemy? My bones are, suffer mortal agony. As my foes taught me, saying to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My faith, my Savior, and my God. Continuing on in, in Psalm 43. He says, vindicate me, God, my God, and, please, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Like it's perhaps that the psalmist is in captivity. He's being taken away from Israel. And he's being accused. He's being mocked this entire time. He turns to God again and he says, You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Man, there's a lot of wrestling in that psalm. You can just hear this push and pull, this tug of war that's going on. He's saying, I feel downcast. I feel rejected. But I'm still trying to be faithful. I'm still looking forward to God's faithfulness. Put your hope in the Lord, O my soul. If we were to kind of look at this whole psalm as as a whole and kind of break it down, right? Kind of break it into kind of three chunks so we can kind of manage it. The first chunk of this psalm would be Psalm 42, 1 through 5. And then the second chunk would be 6 through 11. And then the final chunk would be 43, 1 through 5. And each of those three chunks end with that same rephrase that we see for the first time in verse 5. It says, why my soul are you downcast? He says that three times. And that ends each of the three chunks of this psalm. And so I want to kind of just look at this psalm and I want to pull out some truths. I want to kind of see what does it have for us? How does it build into that truth that when we lean into God with our pain, God will bring about our joy into his glory? The first thing we need to do, right, is we need to look at that pain, right? We, we need to acknowledge it. We need to give it voice. If we're truly about if leaning in and bringing our pain to God, We first need to identify it. We need to look at it. And so I want to look at what is the psalmist describing about himself? What is the pain he's bringing here? Let's look at first, look first here in, uh, at the beginning here. At verses one and two, right? He's he's this description of being thirsty, of, of longing, of desiring. He feels 
absent. He's, when can I go and worship with God, worship with the throngs at the temple? He feels separated from God. He feels away from God's presence. He might be physically separated, but he could also is spiritually separated. Right? Feeling distant, feeling like God isn't there. I think this is something that we need to talk more about and maybe start to normalize more in our Christian walk and the way that we talk about our faith. Right? Because we have this, well, I, I just, I can't tell you how many times I've met friends and people and people I've known who've, who've gotten into their faith, right? Maybe they've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe it's been, maybe it's been a couple decades. Maybe it's been five, six years. And they come to a place and they're just like, you know what? Like, I just don't feel like my faith is on fire anymore. I don't feel like God's near. I don't feel sort of what I like to call the ooey gooeys of the faith, right? I have a hard time connecting in worship. Reading the Bible is difficult. Like, is God even there? And this is such a common experience in the Christian walk. It's so common that Christian authors and Christian writers ages before us used to write books and they called it something. They called it the dark night of the soul. It's such a common experience that there's whole books written about this. And I think there's this really important truth here. I think there's something here that we need to wrestle with. And that is that when God feels distant, He's still present and working. He's just doing something different. Because I think we can get into this place where we're beating ourselves up because we don't feel like we should be feeling something. We should feel like God is close. Like we have this idea. And we can get into this place where we're trying to fix it. I've seen people who get stuck into this place and they begin to say, well, I just need, you know, something's wrong with me. Or maybe there's something wrong with my church and they start to church hop. Or maybe they say, well, I just need to read the right book. I need to write, find the right spiritual teacher, right spiritual guru. I need to find the right spiritual secret. And that'll fix my spiritual life. And they begin to look and they begin to read and try and listen to all the podcasts that they can find. Trying to find that secret answer that'll make them feel that faith again. Or uh, something that I, I, I myself fell into is I, for a time, began to confuse um, feeling guilt and shame with feeling spiritual, right? I used to turn on and find podcasts and sermons where, uh, where I, I wanted to feel convicted. I wanted to kind of, if it wasn't a sermon I walked away from and I felt like, if I didn't feel like I was a bad Christian, was it even a good sermon, right? Like I, I just wanted to kind of like try and continually like, I'm just, I feel bad about myself. Because what I was trying to do was I was trying to recreate this come to Jesus moment. I was trying to get up these emotions and I was, I was confusing shame with true conviction. Because conviction is part of the Christian life. It's part of Christian teaching. But so is also building up. right? So is also living into our true identity. And so I had this idea that like, if I just constantly made myself feel bad, maybe I could make myself feel spiritual again. And it was this idea, it was just pursuing God in this way that was just, that really wasn't helping. I was trying to create this come to Jesus moment over and over again. And this is, this is a difficult place. I could probably talk about this one point all day. And, 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 it's, and it's so common. I feel like we don't talk about it enough. I want to share with you a quote uh, from C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis, the famous author who wrote Narnia 
and so many books. He was a Christian apologist and preacher. He, he argued for the existence of God and for people to believe in Jesus. And I want to read for you a quote that he wrote in his book, A Grief Observed. These are his reflections after his wife died. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, but go to him, go to God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the, emphatic silent, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Wow, those are some pretty dark words, right? Was that house ever inhabited? Doesn't that sound a lot like what it says in verse 3, right? In verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all the day long, Where is your God? That surely looks like an empty house. And, and this is a difficult, difficult place to find ourselves. And it, it, it happens. In all of our walks, it will happen. Whether it's due to a season, to circumstances, to God just simply growing you in a different way. You're going to feel this place. You're going to find a place where it doesn't feel, faith doesn't feel like it did at one point. And it's because God is doing something different. He's still present. He's still working. What I would say is what do we do in that moment is we, we seek to be faithful, right? Like I'm not talking about here like a season where we've walked away from the Lord or where we're living in sin or we're ignoring him. I'm talking about where we're continuing to be faithful, but God for some reason still feels distant. And what we need to do is we just need to lean in. You say, God, I know you're there. I'm trying to be faithful. I can't feel you right now. And open ourselves up to God doing something new, doing something different. And so this is what at first the psalmist is saying. saying, I'm feeling distant. I can't feel like God's presence. And then he says, he goes on in verse 7. He begins to articulate. He says, deep calls the deep in the roar of your waterfalls. And all of your waves and breakers have swept over me. He's overwhelmed. Look at what he continues to say in verse 9. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all the day long, where is your God? Notice those questions he's asking, saying, why have you forgotten me? It's your, your breakers are coming over me. One of the things that you see if you read the Lament Psalms is you see all of these questions. Right? Like probably the most famous psalm starts with a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? In the Psalms, there is this constant questioning. Coming to God and giving really hard questions. Saying, here's my doubt. I feel overwhelmed by this. And I'm going to come to you and I'm going to talk to you about this, God. I think... This is a truth that I think is just demonstrated throughout Scripture. And that's that God would rather have you wrestle with Him than walk away from Him. God would rather have you bring your doubts, your questions, and wrestle with Him than just slowly walk away from Him. 
right? And that, that's, that's hard because if you just, if you never re- wrestle with your doubts, you just refuse to wrestle with them, you ignore them, your doubts will always win, right? If you forfeit the match before it ever starts, they will always win. Doubt can only exist because there first exists faith. Right? Doubt is not this thing that is uncommon to the human experience. God wants us to come close to him. Think about the story of Thomas, the disciple. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't there at first. He didn't see Jesus resurrected. And when the other disciples told him about it, he said, surely not. You guys are making this up. This didn't actually happen. He doubted. He didn't really believe. He's like, I can't believe that until I see it. How did Jesus react when he saw Thomas? Did did Jesus beat him up? Did Jesus yell at him? Jesus said, come close. Come come near to me. Come see me. Right? The Bible describes God as a good and loving father to those that follow him. And I don't know of a good and loving father who tires of telling you to come near and know that I love you. Come near and bring your questions and wrestle with me. A faithful, loving father does not grow tired of that. And so bring this in. Bring those questions. Bring that wrestling. And so the psalmist is feeling distant. He's feeling overwhelmed with questions. And then he goes on in uh, chapter 43. He says he's feeling this kind of misjudgment. Look at what it says In those first two verses, he says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? He's he's feeling this indignation. And I've got to ask the question, is sometimes have we forgotten, right? We think often to bring our own sins to God. Right, the things we do wrong, but have we neglected to bring the sins that others do to us to God? Have we remembered to bring our injustices, the things that are done wrongly to us, also to God first? I would say that God would have us trust Him not only as Savior, but also as Judge. Right, and 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 this is a this is I think a, a nuanced and difficult truth because right now I think. In our moment, we feel this temptation, and as the kind of world becomes more connected and becomes smaller, to feel like we need to be judged not just over ourselves and those in front of us in our community, but judge over the world and jury. And it's so easy, right? And I'm not saying that there's not horrible things going on in the world, that there's not injustices, that there are not things we ought to be standing up and doing something about. But my question is, is what would change if we first went to God rather than Twitter? If we first wrestled with it and said, God, you are the ultimate judge. God, you're the one from where all justice flows. You're the one who will judge the righteous and the sinner and the wicked. I think that would go a long way from keeping us from swallowing pills of bitterness. Right? Doesn't mean we don't do something. Doesn't mean we don't advocate for change, but it keeps us from swallowing a pill of bitterness that threatens to hurt us from the inside over this injustice. When we can trust God, God, you are a God of justice. And so he's feeling misjudged. He's feeling wronged. He's feeling overwhelmed. And he's feeling distant. 
right? These are the, 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 the things that this psalmist is feeling that he's wrestling with. And remember what our main point is. That if we lean into God with our pain, he will bring about our joy and his glory. And I think that first part of that sentence, lean into God with our pain, has been abundantly clear through what we've been talking about. Right? Because that's, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, this is my pain. This is what I'm going through. And he's bringing it to God. He's leaning in. And, and in doing so, <clears throat> that is where we begin to feel and find transformation. It is this place we go into. I would say that we need to let God meet you in it so that he can transform you through it. Right? You need to let God meet you in the place that you find yourself so that he can begin to transform you through it. I don't know what the pain and things and circumstances that you carry in your life are. This, this psalm talks about three. There are a list a mile long of more. But whatever that pain, that hurt, that circumstance of discouragement, doubt, or depression... God wants to meet you in it. He's saying, lean in. Come in and talk to me about it. Be honest with me about it. You can ask me the hard questions. You can say the thing that's on your heart. And I'm willing to wrestle with you. I'm willing to lean in with you. And that's that first part. Lean into God with our pain. And you might be asking, okay, Luke, leaning in. But how does it change where we get joy and glory from that? Because the pain I know is far from that. It's miles away. How do we get from pain to joy and glory? Where does that come in? And <clears throat> I want to I go and look at and examine the rest of that to see where this kind of, this how, how does this happen? How does God begin to make this transformation? What are the things we can do, the steps we can take, to continue to do this, to let open ourselves up to God's transformation in this difficult space. <clears throat> and so I'm hesitant to give you th- three steps uh, because I don't want you to think it's a process. Or I don't know, I want you to think it's a process, but I don't want you to think it's a magic lever, right? I don't want you to think this is a magic box that you just need to say some words once and then it'll just fix it. That's not how this works. It's a process. Because there are going to be times where you feel like you're circling back and back to, God, I thought we dealt with this. God, I thought I'd worked through this problem before. God, I felt I'd gotten over this hurt. And you feel like you're circling back to it. And I would promise you that it's a, it's a spiral and it's going upwards. That is, it's a process that we do this. And it, as we do this, as we're faithful to God, God is faithful to bring about transformation, to bring about joy and glory. So here are three things that won't fix it, but three things we can do that open ourselves up to God doing something in our pain. The first, of, first thing is to bring it all. The second thing is to orient our truth, orient ourselves to truth. And then the third thing is to take the next step. Right? Bring it all, orient to truth, and take the next step. That first one, bring it all. That's what we've been talking about so far this entire sermon. Bring it all. Right? If we have a wound and we're keeping it hidden, we're 
keeping it away from the doctor. We're keeping it away from the physician. It's growing sick. It's growing um, infected. Right? We need to open it up and we need to let the hard surgery, the difficult and painful cleaning of it happen. Right? We cannot, what cannot, God can't heal what we don't bring to him. Right? If we don't bring it out of the darkness and into the light, it can't be healed. It can't be changed. It can't be transformed. And so we need to bring it all. We need to know and we need to have confidence that we can bring all of our stuff into the throne room of God and that God won't kick us out. That God will say, no, come near to me. I have died for you. I have made a way. You are welcome here. I am your high priest. I am your mediator. By the wounds of my son, you are healed. That second, so that's the first, bring it all. The second one is orient ourselves to truth. This is what the psalmist does after each complaint. After each time he says, where he's feeling distant, he's overwhelmed, he's mistreated, he then reorients himself to truth. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, in, oh, I'm skipping over to another psalm. I'm sure it's good, but it's not the one I'm talking about. All right, look at what he says in verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Right? He's saying, I remember, I know that God is good. I can remember these times where I felt near to him, where he is present. And then in verse 8, he says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Right? He's saying, God is, is present with me. He's directing me. He is this song in my heart. And then in verse 3 of chapter 43, he says, Send me your light, and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. He's constantly reorienting himself. He's saying, God is faithful. God is present. God is just. God will lead me. And here's sort of a tension here with these first two. is because we have a tendency either to do just the first one, we bring it all, or we have the tendency just to orient ourselves to truth. Right? The psalmist does both. Right? Because we can get into a place where we just bring it all, where we're just venting to God, and we're just like, oh gosh, I feel better now. But we're not opening ourselves up to being transformed, to having our minds changed, to God orienting our heart in a new direction, to giving us a clearer vision of what's actually going on. But if we come into a place and we're just like, no, I just need to fix what I'm thinking... We can get into a place where we're beating up our own emotions. Where we're saying, I'm not allowed to feel hurt. I'm not allowed to feel angry. Those aren't real. I just need to think differently. And when we do that, we box ourselves up. We box up our emotions and we're, and we're invalidating ourselves. Right? We're saying, I don't really feel sad. I'm just not thinking about it correctly. That's not, that's not true. And it's not what the psalmist does. The psalmist does both. Right? He feels it. He expresses it. He gives voice to his experience, and then he comes to God, he says, God, this is the truth. I might not be experiencing it now, but I want to experience it. I want to be changed by it. I want it to transform my experience. So those are the first two things. We bring it all, we orient ourselves to the truth, and the last one is take the next step. Notice that this psalm ends in process. Right? If we look at 
verse 5 of chapter 42. This is the refrain that is said over and over again. It's the refrain that ends in Psalm 43. It says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My God, my Savior. Right? He, he's saying, I'm not praising yet, but I'm going to. Right? The next step for him was just to look forward and to promise there will be a day where I'm able to worship with God again. Where I'm able to sing his praises. It might not be today. I'm still working on just putting my hope in him. But there will be a day where I feel transformed. Where this circumstance is no longer the thing that dominates me. And I will sing with praise and look back at God's faithfulness on this. Sometimes when we get to this place... Right? We, we want to get ourselves from here to there. And we want to be there before we've even taken the first step. Right? You don't get to there from here without going through what's in between. And so sometimes it's just today I'm just going to look forward. And I'm just going to say, God, I want to worship. God, I want to trust. And let that be the first step. God, help my unbelief. Help me see it as you see it. So those are the three things I think we can do that we see modeled in this psalm. Bring it all, orient ourselves to truth, and then take the next step. As I was thinking about the best way to kind of bring all this up, to kind of talk about this, close it up, bring it into sort of clear picture, the best way I thought of, I found that I could do that was just to share a bit of my own personal story. So something some of you may know, some of you may not know, is that I struggle with depression. Right? I have been going to counseling for over two and a half years now. And, and I recently, this past year, I started taking medication to kind of help with the work that I was doing in counseling. And the best way I know to describe depression is to say that depression is a negative view of self, your current circumstances, and your future. It's this fog, it's a malaise that sets in on everything and it colors everything. It's like the color comes out of everything. And all you can see is just the terribleness. Your view is distorted. Things don't look right. It's like being in a fun house and it's terrifying. And, and, and I gotta be honest, I've been down in the dumps way more times. I've been at the bottom of things. I've been in a dark night way more often than I would ever want to admit in public. And I remember this one time, I was, I, there were some things going on in my life and, and, and around me that I just didn't have control over, that were difficult, that I just was kind of spiraling. I was down. And I was in a friend's apartment, a good friend of mine, and I was in his kitchen, and we were standing at his kitchen counter, and I was just telling him, this is, this is what's going on, this is where I'm at. And, and we had studied together. He, he, he had studied the Psalms. We would talked about lament. And I, I still just remember it. Because he just, he turned around for a moment. He grabbed a pen and a, pa- and a notepad. And he set it in front of me. And he said, Luke, you know what to do. And right there in that kitchen, with tears coming down my eyes, I wrote out a lament to God. Saying, God, this is what's going on. This is where I'm at. These are the questions I have. Why, why do I feel abandoned to this? Why would you make me, have me walk through this difficult circumstance? And, and, I, and, and there in that moment, I had a friend 
who was able to hear, to listen, to validate what was going on, to let me bring it all in that moment. And then he was able to be present. He was able to point me to God. He was able to point me to truth, reorient me. And he was able to help me take that next step. Help me to get up the next day and do what I needed to do. Right? And, and, I, and I can say that I'm, I'm a person who's still in process. Right? This isn't something that's distant and far. This is something I'm still working through. And I'm somebody who still has praise on his lips. Right? Because you know what psalm was on the lips of Christ when he was on the cross? What type of psalm it was? It was Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the lips of our Savior was a lament at his death. Because how does God bring about our joy and glory? It's through the cross of Christ. Because Christ went through a, first he went through Gethsemane. And then he went through a trial. And then he went through a beating. And then he went to a mount where he was put on a cross. And then he went through the grave. And only then did he bring about joy and glory through his resurrection. Right? There's no resurrection if there wasn't first a grave. This is the cruciform part of the Christian life. That as we are with Christ, as we follow Christ, we find ourselves walking through these difficult spaces. We find God is transforming us. Because Jesus Christ took all that was broken, all the pain, sin, and suffering, and consequences of this world, took it with him to the grave, and went through it experienced it in order that he could turn it upside down and say it is defeated and crush it. All right? That's the kind of power that God has. If you want to look at a testimony, you want to say, God, how can you possibly change the pain I experience? How can I possibly move from where I'm at, this lament, to a place of joy and glory? Look at what God first did with his son. Look at what God did through his own death on a cross. If God, if the death of God on a cross by sinful men can be transformed into something that brings about joy, glory, and the new life and eternal life and transformation of thousands, of millions, of billions of people throughout history, God surely can do something through the difficult pain, and circumstances you find yourself in. Look to the cross. When you find yourself in a difficult place with that pain, with that lament, and you need to bring it to God, look to Christ and behold the face of God in Jesus Christ. And know that we have a God we can lament to, a God we can come as we are, a God who truly can, maybe not today, but he will bring about joy and glory. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you as people in need of a surgeon, in, as people who desperately need your healing touch, whether that be for hurts and pains in the past or hurts and pains we're currently experiencing. God, we want to be people who can be honest before you and each other, Lord, we want to be people that can be honest so that you can do healing in our lives. 
Lord, I pray that you would cast out those lies of shame and guilt that keep us from seeking you, that from being open to one another. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to come near. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone hearing this message today, that if they feel like they can't come near, like their pain is too much, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come near. That you would impress upon them your heart as a loving father. As someone who says, by my wounds, I have brought healing. By my sacrifice, I'm bringing new life. Lord, I pray that you would meet everyone where they're at today. That you would walk alongside them in compassion and grace. That you would let us know your love. And that, Lord, you would help our souls to hope in you. To know that we will yet again praise you. We will still praise you through the storm. Lord, we will still praise you no matter what comes. Oh, our soul, praise the Lord. God, I pray that you would build that into us. That you would build us to be a people who are not bowled over when the storms come by the waves. But are held strong on you as our rock. Lord, give us people who can speak truth, that can bring it all to you, and people who can be transformed, oriented, and anchored by your truth and your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.